morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of Local 3369's podcast. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who is this guy and why is he talking? He's not Edwin. Well, don't worry about it. Today, Edwin is our special guest in our conversation regarding reasonable accommodations. So, first and foremost, welcome, Edwin. Well, thank you. And I do want to point out that special and reasonable accommodations can sometimes be, have a correlative quality, but I, I don't think that's where you were going there, right? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. Now, <laughs> before we jump on, before we jump on in, let me introduce uh, Nicole Morio and Devendra Dial, who are here with us as well. Hello, Good everybody. morning. Okay, so without further delay, let's jump right into the importance and all the questions that we, we may have or the bargaining unit may have regarding reasonable accommodations. What are they and who are they for? Well, that's an excellent question because a lot of times people presume that a reasonable accommodation is simply something that the agency can provide and there's no foundation to it. So in its simplest terms, a reasonable accommodation is, well, actually there are three elements to a reasonable accommodation. A reasonable accommodation can be in, in the job, uh, an alteration to the job application process. It can also be alterations or changes within the work environment, or it can be assistance in participating in benefits and privileges. And all of these are designed for what would be a qualified individual under ADA, the American with Disabilities Act. So once you invoke that act, there are two elements that we have to cover. Disability. Is the employee a qualified individual under ADA? Once we make that determination, it never again has to be visit, uh, revisited, unless, of course, it's a temporary condition. So if somebody is blind or deaf and it's been determined, you've already passed the first hurdle. Then the second hurdle is going to be a reasonable accommodation, an alteration that will enable an otherwise qualified individual to do the job. So what I mean by an otherwise qualified individual is somebody who has the job skills, and somebody who has the prerequisite education, whatever the qualifications that are required for that job, you have that. And the presumption is that without the disability, you would be able to perform the essential functions of the job. But because you are disabled under ADA, you need these reasonable accommodations in order to accomplish the essential functions of the job. Okay, so I think that means that uh, what is a reasonable accommodation and who exactly is eligible for a reasonable accommodation? Okay, that's a good question because especially within Social Security, you know, you often hear these phrases mixed in together as they mean the same thing, an RA for reasonable accommodation, or TCA for temporary compassionate assignment, or uh, work at home by exception. They all, they all have 
nuances that make them different. But what significantly makes a reasonable accommodation different from the other two, two things that I mentioned is that it's all predicated on a disability. Now, I mentioned before, disability could be hearing impaired, it could be a, a visual impairment, but it's really any physical or mental impairment that impedes an employee's ability to work. So it, it could be, it could be a, a person who has diabetes. It could be somebody has post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. It could be somebody who's actually suffering from um, from side effects from medications that they have to take. It, it, it's a wide variety. And actually, the best way to go about it would be to actually look at the statute. But it really is very encompassing when it comes to disabilities. Now, Edwin, is the agency required to provide the employee with a reasonable accommodation? And can they deny it? Okay. So... The answer to the question is yes and no. I'm sure that's not what you wanted to hear. So let me uh, be a little more explicit. Now, the burden of, 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 of um, requesting a reasonable accommodation and providing documentation to support your allegation that you're disabled, that's on the employee. Once the employee has provided the necessary documentation, then that burden shifts to the agency. And it's referred to as undue hardship or an undue burden. What that means is the agency by law is required to provide a reasonable accommodation unless an undue hardship, an undue burden exists. Now, it's important to understand that when considering what an undue burden is, you have to look at a couple of things. You have to look at the financial wherewithal of the employer. Now, for our consideration, Social Security, my opinion is that's a really high hurdle because we're talking about an agency that operates on a $14 billion a year budget. So their undue hardship is going to have a higher threshold than perhaps a regular hardware store or a, a convenience store where their resources are far more limited. Then there's also the aspect of will the reasonable accommodation have a significant impact on the conduct of business within the agency. So in other words, the operations of the agency will be considered as well as the work that they do. I hope that answers the question. Well, with I don't want to call it the expansion of telework because I, I, I don't like that term. However, since the pandemic and that we've experienced more telework, is telework something that an employee can request as a reasonable accommodation? Absolutely. Um, it, it, it was a reasonable accommodation prior to the pandemic. However, it was more difficult to obtain prior to the pandemic because arguments were made that telework was not reasonable 
because one of the essential functions of a job was actually being present for the job. And in some instances, that still applies. You know, um, if you're a mailman, it's very hard to deliver mail on telework, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what the pandemic has done is demonstrated that some of the arguments that employers have made are really specious and not applicable. For example, employers would state that telework impacts the level of teamwork or how uh, the interaction of employees. I myself, I must confess, I before the pandemic, I never heard of Zoom. I never heard of MS Teams, but but now they're part of the regular vernacular that we that we incorporate in work. And not only that, but you can really think of the pandemic as taking out telework for a test drive and making determination that many of the essential functions, if not all the essential functions contingent on whatever that job description is, can be done at work. So it is far more viable now and very strong arguments can be made that telework is a reasonable accommodation. However, if you request it, the agency has that burden. And this is the, the, the important thing to consider. It hasn't changed. If you're requesting telework as a reasonable accommodation, the agency still has the burden of proof, demonstrable burden of proof, that providing that reasonable accommodation would amount to an undue hardship on the agency. That's interesting. How much how much time does the agency have to respond to a reasonable accommodation? Well, there really is no set time other than the time should be reasonable. Um, my personal opinion is that anything after 14 days, we really should be at the very least following up and finding out what's taking so long. Um, 30 days, I think, is, is more than sufficient. And that's, those are the thresholds where you might want to consider filing a complaint for the agency not responding. Um, I will say also that an agency should be providing a, a reasonable accommodation prior to any kind of decision. Because until they've denied it, they have not shown demonstrably that it's not appropriate. Now, I do want to I do want to say one thing. Twice I've said a reasonable accommodation and I really stress the word a and it's really important that it's understood that the reason why I do that is because while it's the agency's burden to demonstrate an undue hardship and while the agency is required in the absence of an undue hardship to provide a reasonable accommodation, what the agency is not required to do is provide the reasonable accommodation. So in other words, if you request a certain change in order to assist you to do your job, the agency doesn't have to give you what you ask for. They can give you something different. And whatever, whatever that alternative is, if it meets the criteria of 
addressing the employee's disability, recognizing the employee's disability, as well as allowing the, the employee the ability to perform the essential functions. Well, that means it, the agency has satisfied its requirements. Now, Edwin, how can an employee request a reasonable accommodation? And is there a limit as to the number of RAs that they can submit? Yeah. Well, the agency has what they call an RA wizard that can be utilized. However, that's not a mandate. In fact, the, the statute is very clear that it doesn't even have to be in writing. In fact, you don't even have to ask for a reasonable accommodation. You can simply, because sometimes you may not be aware of the fact that you need a reasonable accommodation, but you are aware of the fact that due to a certain impairment that you have, it's impeding your ability to do the job the way a non-disabled individual might do the job. And as long as you bring that much forward, it's really upon the agency to, to involve itself, to get involved with the employee in what we would call the interactive process. The interactive process is very important because without it, the agency can face potential liability if they do not involve themselves with the, with the employee. Um, so you can ask orally, you can infer that something is needed to be done without actually using the words of reasonable accommodation. You can have somebody on your behalf ask for a reasonable accommodation. It could be a coworker. It could be the union. It could be a family member who's not even an employee of, of the agency. So there are a wide variety of ways that an employee can obtain a reasonable accommodation. I will say, however, that in order to have it memorialized, in order to be able to represent yourself or have the union adequately represent you in the event that what you're requesting is either not provided or not provided timely, it normally is better to put it in writing because it's a lot easier to deal with in that sense. Uh, I don't remember the last part of your question. The last part was, is there a limit as to oh, uh, yeah. the number of RAs that you can submit? Yeah, yeah th there's no limit. The bottom line is that the statute was created. When I, when I say statute, I mean the American for Disabilities Act. There was actually uh, an amendment to that act. And then there's also the Rehabilitation Act as well. And all of these statutes are really the foundations to enabling to really leveling the playing field for disabled individuals so that they can participate with equal opportunity in, in, in the workplace. Um, so really the goal is to ensure that an employee can participate. And if it takes one RA, if it takes two, if it takes 20, um, it, it doesn't matter. And, and the beauty behind applying for an RA is that I, I may have mentioned this earlier. I don't recall if I did, but once you've once it's been determined that you have a particular disability, you don't have to submit any additional evidence in regards to that. And in fact, if you have a disability that's fairly obvious, you should not be asked to provide medical 
documented. So if you show up to work with a seeing eye dog, it's fairly evident what the condition is. The agency does not have to ask you to provide any medical evidence of your disability, and they can move on to the to the to the second phase, which is to make a determination through interaction with the employee on what those accommodations would be to best suit the employee. You know, first and foremost, a lot of good information. Um, and we can probably talk about this for hours. Um, but let me let me try and streamline a couple of things. So first, let me ask, as a union rep, what can the union do to assist an employee in terms of filing a reasonable accommodation? Well, first and foremost, the union should always be available as an advocate. And as an advocate, you want to be willing to move the process along. You want to be in a position to provide the employee with information. Sometimes, especially in on-site, and on-site it's, it's such an, an important tool because sometimes an on-site can see a set of circumstances where an employee might benefit from a reasonable accommodation from their own experience that the employee themselves may not recognize. Um, this especially occurs with new hires. You know, we get a lot of employees from the VA who come in and a lot of employees suffer from PTSD. They suffer from, um, you know, they're, I won't even begin to have a full comprehension of what they undergo through, through their experience serving the country. But they have special needs that sometimes need to be addressed at the onset, which could be uh, an alteration in the training. It, it could be uh, extra time in the test taking, whatever it is. These are all things that an on-site rep can be aware of. These are all things that a union official uh, can be aware of. Um, really, we have to ha be cognizant above what the average employee is because that's our role to serve. That This is our role to ensure that the most optimal, optimal of conditions of employment exists. And, you know, there's a large population of the American public that is disabled and it isn't always evident. And sometimes we, we, ha we, we have to have these communications. So there are many roles that the, that the union can play, but I think the most important one is just being available and accessible. Well, as, as I just said, <clears throat> there's, we, we can spend so much time on this topic. So, um, let me just ask you this, Edwin, is there any, and, and this is straight out of your playbook, is there anything that I should have asked you or that we should have asked you that we did not? Well, you guys have been very thorough with your, with your questions. Um, and I think the timeliness of this podcast is really serendipitous because there's such a, a proliferation of denials of reasonable accommodations. And I suspect part of that is because the agency does not always have a propensity to follow the law, but more importantly, they don't, I don't believe anyway, they don't properly educate lower management, whether it's supervisors, ADMs and DMs on the whole statute. And, and, and the understanding is that if there is a disability and that's been determined, then it's not a matter of, will 
the reasonable accommodation be granted. It's the reasonable accommodation, a reasonable accommodation must be granted. And simply to deny is not a resolution. For example, if we have instances where an employee is denied an RA and they're not given an adequate response. For example, one of the most common responses I hear is your medical documentation wasn't enough. Well, that in itself is insufficient of a response because the agency has a duty to explain what explicitly it needs. And simply saying that it wasn't enough doesn't resolve the problem. A lot of these things that occur is really, uh, is really why the union should get involved because the employee is already dealing with the duress of facing, of, of facing the possibility of not having their RA granted, which impedes the ability for them to do the job, which ultimately affects their ability to put food on the table, which is where I draw the line. You don't mess around with a person's ability to take care of their family. Um, so, you know, I, I have to curb my, myself because I can go on forever on this. Um, so it, it's really important to make sure that the agency is really adhering to the law and that this is not a matter of discretion. It's a matter of law. And as, a, as union representatives, we need to educate ourselves on the law so that we can better represent the employees. Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for being our subject matter expert on reasonable accommodations today. Thank I'm no you for, expert. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for always acting as our host, or I should say being our host. Um, thank you to Devendra and Nicole for co-hosting with me today. And um, I guess we'll see you guys next time for episode 26. And uh, thank you so much. And everyone have a great day.